This episode of Fearless Rebel Radio is brought to you by You On Fire. You On Fire is the amazing 12-week online group coaching program that I run where we build up your worth from the ground up so that it's no longer hinging on the way that you look. It's got personalized coaching from me and incredible community support plus lifetime access. Get details on what's included in this program and sign up to be notified when doors open for the next cycle by going to summerinandin.com forward slash you on fire. I would love to have you in that program and in that group. This is Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast about body positivity, self-worth, anti-dieting, and feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 115, and I am interviewing Imogen Fox, the person behind The Feeding of the Fox, about recovering from an eating disorder and navigating body acceptance as a disabled person with chronic conditions. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash 115. That's 115. Before we begin, I got to give a shout out to C. Zizzles, who left this amazing review. I want to be Summer Inanin's best friend. She's fantastic. The information she shares is uplifting and presented in a way that shakes you out of your rut and helps you view things in a better light. Love, love, love this podcast. Oh, and I have a deep appreciation for the therapeutic value of profanity, so the occasional appearance of it in here feels real, not forced, not over the top, but like conversation with a friend. Did I mention how much I love this podcast? Thank you, Summer. Thank you so much, C-Zizzles. We can be friends. Just uh, hit me up and we'll hang out sometime. Leaving a review helps others to find this show, so I would really appreciate it if you took two minutes to do so. You can go to iTunes, iTunes, search for Fearless Rebel Radio, then click Readings and Reviews and click to leave a review or give it a rating. In addition to that, I would love it if you subscribed to the podcast. Just go to whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts and click subscribe, and I would be deeply appreciative if you did that. Lastly, you can get the free 10-day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. Today's guest is Imogen Fox. Imogen writes the Feeding of the Fox blog and runs the Instagram account under the same name, where she courageously shares her experiences with recovering from an eating disorder and navigating body acceptance as a disabled person with chronic conditions. She is an activist and one of my favorite people to follow on social media. I think you are going to love her and this episode. Check it out. Welcome to the show, Imogen. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you. Hi. Hi. I was we were saying earlier before we started recording, I was saying to you just how much I love your posts and how thoughtful they are and I was asking you about your process around that because I just admire how open and honest you are on your social media feed. Thanks. So good. But before we get into that, I would love you to share your story and talk about how you got to where you are today. Okay. Oh, it feels like such a big question, doesn't it? Like in terms of my life, it's just what happened. But when you're, when you're trying to like pin down how you got to where you are, suddenly 
seems like a much bigger question. Yes. So I was born with a genetic impairment. So that started to really change how I live day to day when I was in my teens. And over the years, I had really significant health problems, really quite profoundly unwell in my 20s. And I wasn't able to mobilize really at all. Uh, so I gained lots of weight and I decided that I needed to look after myself and I'm putting all these in ridiculous quote marks and be healthy. And so I, I decided to go on a diet and I, you know, did the usual stuff and ended up just really probably more unwell than I'd ever been before and realized that actually changing my body was never going to be the answer and that changing my mindset was the the best thing I could do to keep myself well so that's what I've been trying to do the last sort of year or so but obviously as a disabled person changing my body was always going to be a a tall order so coming to terms with the fact that my body is never going to be you know socially acceptable and that I'm I'll always be a kind of other again in quote marks body it that's been quite a sort of learning process too so a lot of my posts are around the politics of being a disabled person but also about being a a woman a disabled woman a disabled lesbian and and, and then being body positive and anti-diet within being a disabled person as well so yeah yeah you mentioned i know on your website you mentioned i felt very much like i didn't fit in and I think you're talking about when you're growing up here as a disabled person, but also as a young woman struggling with her sexuality. How did that influence your relationship with your body? It's really difficult, isn't it? Because I, I don't know, I guess I just, I never knew any different, but I just, I, I just always knew that I felt other. And I, for a long time, I couldn't really acknowledge what that was. Like I, I just always wanted to look different and find my people, but I just, I didn't know who they were. And actually the queer community, and I think a lot of disabled people would agree with this. In fact, um, do you know Ruby, who lives in Australia? I do, yes. Yeah, she writes She writes really eloquently about this too. And we, we had a long chat about it the other day. We were just saying, actually, the, the queer community are really difficult to be part of when you've got an impairment. They're not great at making things accessible. So whilst I was desperately trying to work out what my sexuality meant and and which community I needed to be part of at the same time I was struggling with actually accessing any of those things to to find out so it just it I just felt so on the edges of 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 society I just I never I saw normality and it was just laughable the prospect of of fitting into that group and of course as you age you realize normal doesn't really exist it's not a thing nobody's normal and that we all have our difficulties that most people feel other in their body to some extent but as a, as a teenager when you add in things like being queer and having an impairment all of a sudden those can feel really kind of daunting things to manage how does it feel for you now I think I just feel a lot more settled even while I was actively dieting actually I still felt a lot more settled I just I felt really empowered as a woman I definitely felt like I didn't need the queer community so much, mostly because I, I could never access it. And I'd managed to find a kind of comfortable place to be without being part of that. But I met my partner, my wife now, and we kind of made a life together. And that just made a nice little bubble for me. So I guess branching out didn't feel so important. But I mean, I hate to kind of keep bringing it back, but when you've got an impairment and 
things are difficult to access it's not just physical access but actually getting out to those kind of events and being part of a community anyway can just be incredibly difficult so it was learning how to manage going without and being comfortable with whatever you could access and learning to be grateful for those really little things I guess my my two closest friends have been a huge asset during that as well being queer and disabled themselves it was really comforting to have other people who felt settled in themselves Mm-hmm. And what's it like for you, like having, you, you know, you have a pretty big social media following. Does that give you a sense of community or do you help other people feel less alone? Like, what what do you notice uh, about that? I really like, it's such a lovely little community that everyone's so lovely. It's just, it's just really nice. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, it's really cute. I think, I think the thing that I love most about it is that, there's no expectation to be anything. So I post things and, and people message and they say, oh my goodness, I'm so grateful that you said that because I've been thinking that or I've been feeling like this or this is happening for me and I, I feel a bit better about it. I think actually, whilst I do get considerable support from them, mostly what I've realized is that we're all in the same boat or there's so many of us in the boat that actually you, you kind of don't need to feel, you don't need to beat yourself up about it because so many of us are in the same position and and that whole idea about removing the societal constructs and you know removing that idea that you have to be certain things and be productive and be thin and be healthy like it on my page there just isn't really any of that because none of it's really an option so it's nice to just be around other people who feel the same yeah that's so great to hear i'm i'm glad that it's such a lovely experience for for you because I think you know it can be kind of a dangerous place sometimes when you're putting yourself out there yeah yeah it's very very occasionally I'll get a message from somebody saying I eat this number of calories a day and you're like oh you so missed the point like <laughs> yes <laughs> yes move along <laughs> yeah but uh, thankfully they're few and far between and nobody tells me that I need to be happy because it's pretty obvious that's never ha- going to happen. So, yeah, thankfully, I feel pretty fortunate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I know before we started recording, we were kind of joking around because we 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 both had been in the paleo world. Yeah. And you said to me, you didn't even know you were on a diet. So yeah. <laughs> I'd love you to just kind of talk about that because I feel like it's such an important thing because I, I was I'm laughing because I felt the same way. I was yeah, like, I'm not, totally. on a, I'm not dieting. It's not, no. it's not Weight Watchers. <laughs> exactly it's it like I, I think I said to you it's so well packaged it's this beautiful little like you're just doing the best for yourself it's like the ultimate in self-care and it's it's packaged as like yeah just the, the best you could ever do for yourself and of course I'd, I'd been on a diet for the the few years previous and actually what had happened was I was a avid calorie counter and then it was Christmas and of course I binged and it was the first time that I'd ever really like certainly in in this cycle of dieting that I'd ever really binged and I was like oh that's was unusual and a little bit frightening what am I going to do to get back on the wagon Um, so I decided to do the ultimate and do whole 30 so I did whole January and um, after that I was just like wow this is this is just amazing and although I counted calories whilst I was doing it 
I'm sort of negligible, really, because there was so little I could eat. I'd restricted so many food groups. It, it almost didn't feel like a diet because I didn't eat anything. I wasn't even allowed peas. This is insanity. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. I totally forgot that you couldn't eat peas. Yeah. <laughs> and, and limited sweet corn and do you know what i really miss hummus i really love hummus oh you can't have hummus so innocent. Oh. <laughs> can you imagine being on a kind of diet where you're not allowed hummus like what is this mm-hmm. oh. but yeah, yeah they've just they've, they've cracked it with the marketing like they are good on them they've you know they've done a real one on the on the rest of us so, yeah, I just I had no idea. And then I found myself in rabbit holes of Googling paleo on Pinterest and pinning a, diff, a, a billion different recipes for. Oh, God, it's so boring, isn't it? Can you remember that? I just I can just remember spending yes. hours and hours and hours. And because I was just starving, I was absolutely starving, like literally starving. <laughs> So, of course, I was obsessed with food and constantly on Pinterest and what am I going to eat later, but not too much of it and make sure it's all within my calories. And yeah, I don't I don't know how I managed to get myself into that position. But the reassuring thing, of course, is that I know that there are a million other people in that position. And thankfully, we've got people like you to stick your head above the parapet and say, doesn't have to be like that. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh my goodness, I can relate to so much of that. And I know you you mentioned your recovery from an eating disorder has been over the last year or so and that you've been learning to be an intuitive eater. And I know in one of your posts from a while ago you mentioned that this process has been messy and that it's like an uphill battle. And I think so many people listening are in that stage. So I'd love you to share what that's been like for you and what your advice is to others who are experiencing that. Those, honestly, the first few months, I was just like, what am I doing? This, it actually felt more frightening than the prospect of remaining in the diet. And although I'd Actually, what had become re- the most frightening was the binging because I was I was just out of control by the end because I was absolutely desperate for just some nutrition. Um, and obviously you reach that point where your body's like, I don't care if it comes from an entire packet of biscuits. You just need to eat something. So I was just stuck in that cycle of, of restricting and binging. But, oh, my goodness. I just you just overthink everything. And I so send my heart out to the people in those early few months. It is just so hard. But genuinely, the only thing you can do for yourself is keep going. Like you just have to keep going, keep making those mistakes, keep realizing what it is. And the first few weeks I was like, well, this is like one giant binge. All I want to do is eat cake. But I hadn't eaten cake for like six years. Of course I wanted to eat cake. Like I remember um, I was uh, having a Skype call with Deanne Vincent. She's on Instagram. I think that's how you say her name. And she said it was like very, very early on. And she said, "What, what is it that you really want to eat? And I just said, I just can't stop eating biscuits. And she was like, well, what would be the worst thing that would happen if you kept eating biscuits? And I was like, well, I'd get fat. And she was like, and why would that be bad? And I was like, well, I mean, I hadn't really thought about that. She was like, just keep eating biscuits, Imogen. If that's what you need to do, 
just eat biscuits because eventually you'll get sick of biscuits and you'll really want some broccoli. And it just, it does happen eventually. (laughs) I remember about six months in realizing that I hadn't realized that it had got easier. And all of a sudden there wasn't an urgency around food and I could plan a meal without the panic and I could eat something without the constant overthinking afterwards. And all of a sudden, just really slowly, your body just eases into it, doesn't it? And eventually you can just think, actually, not bothered. I'm okay without that. And maybe I fancy some of this. And like you can leave a mouthful, which is laughable to a dieter, especially once you've calorie counted a meal because you've got to eat every morsel. Um, And now it's just, it's really nice. It's just, it's, it's much more relaxed. I was saying to you just before, like, it's not perfect. I'm not a hundred percent. I can eat anything without any anxiety, but I, I would say I'm a good 85 to 90% of the time just able to eat. And it, oh my goodness, the relief is unbelievable. That's so good. I, I'm just so grateful that you were able to articulate that because it's been a while for me. And I think, you know, when I'm, you know, when I work with clients and, and whatnot, it, it, it's I'm, I hear their experiences and I see that those same struggles, but it, I think it's just so helpful to hear it from other people when you're in it yourself. So I, I feel like people are going to appreciate that you shared that. Without it sounding like a terrible plug, I did actually write a blog post about a month ago and it was the end. So I wrote about what intuitive eating was, just a, a kind of three step guide. And then at the end of that, I didn't write for ages. And then I wrote a big post and I was just saying I haven't written because I had to live this and this is what has happened to me as I've been living it so actually if you wanted to hear about that in more detail and probably slightly more eloquently put that blog post might be worth reading yeah I will link to that in the show notes and please don't apologize for plugging this whole (laughs) podcast is plugging you so (laughs) tell everyone where they can find more more things more resources this is good you mentioned you hadn't you know when when you were um meeting with the um I'm not sure if you said it was a dietitian who kind of said to you and like, what would it mean if you were fat or if you were bigger? And I know in one of your posts, you had said a huge wake up call for you was learning that the the word fat phobia and that there was a term for how you felt about fat people. What was that like for you to, you know, open your eyes to that? And how have you worked towards undoing those beliefs? Well, first of all, I was absolutely horrified because I genuinely, I've been an activist all my life. Like I was in on the streets, I've been arrested. I was chained to things in my twenties. Like I have been fighting for the rights of disabled people for a really long time. So I was absolutely horrified and so embarrassed when I realized that I had been taking part in the oppression of a group of people. I just, it, completely blew my mind and of course as soon as I realized and it all clicked into place politically I was like okay that's it this is how this has got to go and I I guess it just fitted in then with my kind of radical disability politics that I, I had to be a radical fat activist or certainly a radical ally to fat activists undoing it however in my own mind has been a much bigger challenge we're all capable of those two kind of parts in our brain haven't we the one where we know what we 
should be saying and doing and we do our best to kind of act that out and then the the kind of thoughts that we say to ourselves and the things that nobody else hears or knows about those were a lot harder to get my head around and still today I was I was just chatting to a friend the other day my impairment needs means that I need to rest regularly and knowing when to rest and when to move is still something I'm I'm still finding really difficult and of course my brain immediately goes back to that well you probably shouldn't have too much lunch if you're not going out this afternoon or and I just it's still a constant like no that is absolutely not how this works you absolutely don't have to earn food you absolutely do not need to be a thin person this is ridiculous but you just have to be absolute and thankfully I'm absolute on my politics so it's kind of a little bit easier to manage but oh it's it is it's really hard going undoing those thoughts and it's in our DNA like I don't know about you but I I was brought up with a fat phobic mum my grandma told me I had a pretty face if only I could lose some weight and I dread to think what her mum said to her it's literally in my blood I'm talking about undoing decades and decades of harm in five months well no <laughs> funnily enough it's, it's just not a cure all but I'm absolutely working towards being in a position where I don't ever have fat phobic thoughts yeah good that's so great to hear and I know you like you've lived as somebody with thin privilege and as somebody in a fat body yeah absolutely yeah what do you want people to understand about the difference between those experiences I think I I think what I find really difficult is those sort of there's a lot on Instagram of young white women who who still don't really understand that what their eating disorder tells them and how society perceives them are two very different things. They're saying the word privilege like they understand what it means. But unfortunately, mental health doesn't always add those two things together particularly easily. So they don't always act in a way that that adds those up does that make sense I feel like I've lost myself a bit there it's just society sees you as something and there's nothing you can do about it and if you play into that in any way you're just perpetuating a cycle that keeps a group of people oppressed I couldn't buy clothes I couldn't get decent health care I couldn't get into places easily I was a full-time wheelchair user so I definitely had like a lot of other stuff going on but just it was just really hard work all the time and being a thin person I literally nobody notices you like it was unbelievable the difference in the way that men would communicate with me specifically women definitely communicated different differently I I got more pity as a fat woman than I did as a thin woman like the the differences are really quite stark and I I don't think a lot of people realize that because I don't think a lot of people have been quite the extremes maybe that I have. But I I just that I don't think people realize how much they're perpetuating it sometimes, even though they're saying that they're really trying to dismantle that they're actually playing into it. So what would you like to see people do differently? I definitely think people need to step back more and let other people forwards, certainly within the body positive movement. I mean, I guess I'm quite involved in Instagram, so I'm talking about that as a platform. But I just like clothes can be made in any size. 
make them in fucking sizes that fit people. Like that's what needs to happen. Do you know what I mean? And healthcare can be given to everybody. The treatment is the same regardless of whether you're fat or thin. So that needs to happen. Like on a on a broader scale, just be nice to people. Just be nice to everybody. Like that needs to happen. <laughs> it, it's not about like, oh, well, do this for fat people and don't do this for thin people. It's be a decent human all the time to everybody. Like, there we go. That's a simple task. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's easier said than done, apparently. But um, yeah, I know. It's so it's so great to hear you kind of talk about the, the, you know, the two experiences, because that's not something that's a lot of people ha- have had. And I think it's really important to understand, like really important to understand that. This episode of Fearless Rebel Radio is brought to you by Studio's Vasa Blow headphones. Vasa Blow is the perfect harmony of studio quality sound and Scandinavian minimalist design. I have Studio's Vasa Blow earphones, wireless earphones in rose gold black, and they are really cool looking and the sound quality is amazing. These wireless earphones feature carefully tuned internal drivers and amplifiers to separate distinct sounds within the music, giving you an authentic, almost like being their listening experience. They boast up to eight hours of unlimited playtime with a unique standby mode for up to 10 days of battery life, giving you ultimate wireless freedom. Its unparalleled design coupled with being the lightest on the market to date makes the Vasa Blow the perfect companion for any Bluetooth enabled device. You can find the link to Studio's website in the show notes for this episode or go to www.studio.com and be sure to enter promo code FEARLESS, that's F-E-A-R-L-E-S-S, at checkout to save 15% off any purchase. Their headphones are gorgeous and they also provide free worldwide shipping. So I want to talk about just your experience with, uh, like, as a disabled person, not too long ago, you wrote, the prospect of loving my body right now is laughable. I'm in pain. I'm in the kind of pain that makes your eyes water. And you go on to say, I am only just holding on to some remnants of sanity. Loving your body is the ideal granted, but can we just not get cut up in setting more standards for marginalized people to fail? Can you talk about that the pressure that you feel or see i I think that i think that pressure is across the board i think it's worse for um people who identify as disabled and trans and other marginalized groups because they're already desperately trying to achieve something that they probably can't but why do we need to love ourselves like really like somebody sent me a list of questions for some kind of interview the other day and the the last question was do you like your body or are there still things you'd like to change and I just was like it's irrelevant it's a body like it you just we just need to move away from this idea that in order to be body positive or to accept ourselves and love ourselves fully that we have to love our body guys it's just a body it's going to fail as you get older it's going to sag as you get older it's going to change as you have children or have accidents experience trauma like it's just a body and if we're constantly selling bath bombs and face masks and saying this is how you love of yourself you're just setting up more and more people to fail at something when actually what they really need in that very moment is just not to have to worry 
about failing yet another thing because it is bone crushing. Like we've all been there. We've all looked at pictures on Instagram and thought, I'm just never going to be that. Why can't I be like her? And you, you don't have to be like her. You don't have to be like anybody. You don't have to be productive. You don't have to be beautiful and you don't have to love yourself. End of, you know? Yeah. And so like, you know, how do you define loving yourself? I wouldn't necessarily say I love myself because I guess I'm trying to move away from that idea that there's a standard of how to love yourself. But what I try and try and do is take care of myself in the ways that I am most able to. So that's eating regularly when I need to. It's doing all the things that I need to do for my impairment. It's resting when I need to rest. It's asking for help when I need health help. It's taking care of my mental well-being. It's taking my medication. Like there's a ton of things that I need to do in order to keep myself as well as possible. But also within that, I have to accept that sometimes I can't achieve that. And that's okay too. Like there are days that I forget to take my pills. There are days that I struggle to cook myself three decent meals. There are days that I can't get to my hospital appointment, even though I know I really need to see that doctor. But that's okay. Like that's not failing. That's not not loving yourself. That's not not taking care of yourself. That's just accepting that life ebbs and flows and that you don't have to worry about creating your own standards within your own mind because they're just as dangerous as the ones set to us by society. Yeah, that's such a good point. And I think, you know, what I hear is you are really practicing compassion for yourself, which I think that's ultimately what we want to go for is just... It's literally the only thing that I say to people. Like, I, I do get a lot of messages from people on Instagram. And my stock response, without it being a stock response, is please just be kind to yourself. Please just have some compassion. Please consider what you might say to me if I had just sent you that message. Please think about what you might tell your daughter if she had just told you those things. Like, can we all just please cut ourselves some slack? Because work is hard and money is hard and family is hard. And the last thing we need to do is come home at the end of the night and just beat ourselves up because we ate a Mars bar or because we didn't get to the gym today or because we didn't do that enormous list of things that we needed to do. Like, let's just all take a deep breath and be a bit nicer to ourselves. Yes, it's so true. And I think like when I use the word love or, you know, in in that context, and I I try not to use the word love, love your body because I wholeheartedly agree with you that I don't think that you have to like like the way it looks or like the way it functions or you know any of that stuff um like I do not think that's a prerequisite I really think it's about having compassion for ourselves and um you know treating ourselves with respect and kindness that's 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 what it is that's that's all like that's it but that is a bare minimum isn't it? That should be your absolute bare minimum. Like when you're setting, if you're setting any kind of standard, let's set that one first. How about some compassion and some respect and some non-judgmental kindness? Like if you just keep that as your absolute baseline, you'll struggle to fail. Because it's, it's harmful to try to push positivity on people. Like it, you're when if you're telling someone to deny their feelings, and I think, you know, we have to accept 
and make space for those days when we hate our body or hate ourselves or hate our life or everything, you know, whatever is happening. Yeah, absolutely. I just, so many people are caught up in a cycle of hating themselves and being frustrated and why, like, we are so limited. We've got so much, so much energy could be used on just being softer, being kinder, being more thoughtful for ourselves. We put so much energy into what we're doing for the kids and what we're doing for our friends. And let's just take a moment and, and deal with our own self and, and sit with being uncomfortable and in pain and not enjoying our body right now, because those things pass. And the quicker we learn that, the quicker we can get comfortable in our bodies, the, the quicker it is to kind of move on and just say, all right, I, I don't need to worry about this right now. Yeah. One of the things I hear from people who have uh, impairments or any type of condition that causes pain or limited mobility is that it's hard to find acceptance and appreciation for their body. What is your advice to them? It's a really tricky one. I get this question a lot and I'm not sure I ever answer it the same way. I think you just have to acknowledge that your body is doing the best it can. Like if you're still managing to deal with, oh, what is that thing called where you take in oxygen and turn it into CO2 and it like energizes? Anyway, that thing, if you're still managing to make oxygen in your blood, like then your, your body's doing something brilliant let's just like we just have to be grateful for those really small things your body is trying its hardest and the chances are you've spent the last 20 years trying to starve it so let's cut some slack first of all I just our health is such a privilege having a body that functions is such a privilege being able to be active and not have to worry about pain and limitations is a massive privilege. And it's not something that we're all gifted, but it's not something we're all entitled to. So for me, it was definitely about acknowledging that my body was doing the best it could, that I could probably do more to support my body and to look after it. And that actually, I don't have to do anything or be anything in order for my body to be worthy, valuable and important. But it's it's such a fight. I do like it is a real. I I do understand why why people will roll their eyes at that. But it just comes back to compassion and kindness, doesn't it? Your body really is trying its hardest. It's filtering your urine and it's digesting your food and it's moving your feces and it's like it, it's doing all these incredible. It's performing homeostasis. There we go. It's managing your blood pressure and your temperature. You know, seeing and thinking and hearing. Like it's doing a lot. And I'm, it's it's shit that you're in pain, but just cut your body some slack. Yeah. Do you have any practices that you do to help you feel more grounded or grateful to focus on those things? I take a lot of deep breaths. <laughs> yeah. And I re <laughs> I realize that sounds really stupid, but I the 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 biggest thing that I do is I take a deep breath and I just say I'm okay as I am right now. Um, and I do that a lot, but I did used to be on a ventilator and you can't take a deep breath when you're on a ventilator because something else is organizing your breathing for you. So I recognize that that in itself is a privilege. But for those of us who are able to take a deep breath, that is definitely something really grounding. Um, I also stroke myself 
a reasonable amount. Again, some people won't have movement in their limbs or they won't be able to feel it. I understand that that's a privilege, but I, I find just a little stroke can be a really kind of calming practice. And then over that, I just I try and rest and relax when possible. I also take painkillers if I need to. Yes. Everybody, take painkillers if you need to. Very important. So important. <laughs> you don't have to... I know, it's like this this idea that we have to fight through stuff and struggle. And yeah. I feel... Just take some painkillers. Yeah, that's such a, a health culture thing. And I think... I don't know. Actually, I'm so curious to know because I feel like the paleo world really instills this belief that if you have a chronic illness, you should be able to resolve it through food. Do you like did you fall into that frame of mind? Did you kind of think like I should be able to do this or this should fix whatever's happening? 100%. Yeah. 100%. My, just to be clear, my impairment is genetic. Like there is a fundamental flaw in the genes that built my cells like it's not going anywhere but that said there are things that I can do to make it more manageable and obviously it's very different now to how it was when I was younger and I've I, it's changed for lots of reasons but whilst I was paleo I would have waxed lyrical about how being paleo had saved my life like no doubt about it and I I, I yeah I thought it was the holy grail of things to make me well and, and I, I genuinely so my mum actually has a few autoimmune conditions herself and I was horrified genuinely horrified that she wouldn't go paleo I, I was just like I don't understand why you wouldn't like if you could just cut out every food group known to man you'd be better yeah why won't you yes <laughs> I just don't understand why you won't do that so I just I must have been a horrible person to live with sometimes <laughs> But I just couldn't I just could not get my head around the fact that somebody might choose not to to do that to themselves. And now, obviously, I'm incredibly grateful that she did not take that advice. Otherwise, I'd be having to talk her out of it. But yeah, at the time, I was absolutely convinced that it was going to cure me or save my life or, you know, any number of things. It's such a harmful narrative because it puts the blame on you as the individual and then in and it, I mean it's really against my politics really <laughs> yeah um, but I was so sucked in and the problem is you're so starved by that point that your brain isn't really functioning properly so it's really hard to finish a thought anyway never mind be really critical and reflective on something I, I just I, I don't know about you but I couldn't think about more than eating biscuits like for most of that time I, I wasn't really considering whether i was doing the best thing for my body or, or whether it sat well with my politics. I was just hungry. Oh, I had, I didn't have, po my politics were counting cherry tomatoes and working. Yes. <laughs> I used to count teaspoons of cinnamon. Oh my gosh. I used to bring, oh, I used to bring cinnamon with me to Starbucks because the cinnamon they had there had sugar in it. <laughs> No. Oh, God. I was literally laughing to myself about it the other day because I'd put about 15 cloves of garlic in this curry that I was making and I was just chuckling. <laughs> I used to count the calories in these. <laughs> in cloves of garlic, for goodness sake. It's, and we're not laughing if anyone is doing this. We just, it, no. it's just... Oh, it's you don't you don't have to do it. it. Yeah, you, yeah. you realize it. Feel very different. Yeah, you do. You do. So you talk about your politics, and I'd love you to talk about you talk about the social model of disability. So I'd love you to talk about that, the importance of subscribing to this model. So can you speak to what this is and how it relates to disability politics? 
Okay, so first thing to note is that probably in America you will have heard the person first version of disability rights politics. And this is not to say that that isn't an appropriate model to use. It's just not really what we subscribe to in the UK. And I think actually... Whilst there's some really good articles, so if people are interested, you can read about why disability rights activists in the US still use person first. But person first basically says that you are a person with disabilities. So like you are a person of colour, it makes you a person before you're kind of a marginalised group. In the UK, we use the social model of disability, which makes me a disabled person. The idea of the social model is that there is nothing wrong with my impaired body, that society around me limits what I am able to do by being completely inaccessible. And that actually, if my dentist, which was on the second floor, had a lift, suddenly my dentist would be accessible and therefore it wouldn't be difficult for me to get in. And that is nothing to do with my body. It's not my fault that I can't walk up the stairs. It's the dentist's fault for not having a lift. Um, so that's kind of the basic ideas. The reason that we say a disabled person is because when you use the term disabilities, you imply that my body is flawed in some way. So we would tend to use the word impairment like we've done throughout this show or condition or health condition. There's lots of variations, but primarily I use the term condition. And then I say, I am a disabled person because I am disabled by the structures in society that are inaccessible to me, rather than saying, I have disabilities, my body is somehow not functioning appropriately. So it's taking the onus off the individual and showing yeah. how it's a societal issue. Yes, totally. Because actually, whilst we, you know, utopia obviously would be the entire world was accessible, but in reality, the world could certainly be an awful lot more accessible than it is now. And I don't believe that it's my fault that, you know, we're not, you know, you wouldn't go around just removing all disabled people in order that we can still have stairs up to the dentist. You just put in a lift. So that, that I don't believe that there's anything wrong with my body. And so, yeah, I think it's a societal construct. That's so interesting. So I wonder why, and I don't know what it is. I'm in Canada, so I don't know what model we use here. I need to inform myself on that. So I apologize. But I wonder why it is different in the US. If I'm perfectly honest, whilst I know that there are excellent articles, those were recommended to me by a friend and I haven't yet read them. So I I couldn't say entirely. But I know that a lot of people feel like they don't want to be marginalized before they're a person. So they want to be a person before they're anything else. But you wouldn't say I'm a person with female or like a person with queerness. You would just say she's a lesbian or she's a woman. So for me, that doesn't really sit as a kind of political theory. But maybe we should both do some reading and talk about this. I definitely need to. I definitely need to. Well, I learned so much from reading your posts and whatnot. So I thank you for putting that information out into the world. And, and yeah, just, I, I learned so much. So thank you. There's a lot of people out there actually who don't really know a lot about disability politics, even though they probably are, maybe, maybe they don't identify as disabled people. I get a lot of people who say, I'm not really disabled, but I've got a chronic pain condition, a chronic fatigue condition and this and that, you know, and I'm just like, oh, actually, 
you might not consider yourself a disabled person. You might not identify as disabled. But actually, in terms of the social model, you are disabled by society. You are finding it difficult to access things in life. So those people, if they joined us... (laughs) We would be a a much more powerful movement. I think disability rights has really kind of gone under the radar a bit in the last few years and we could do with a bit of a revival. So I think it's positive that that we've got a bit more of an audience. People like Ruby and me and um, Sitting Pretty and a a few others on Instagram have kind of uh, got a bit of attention recently, which is really lovely. Yeah, it's great. It's been so helpful. It's been uh, wonderful to see, you know, the people like yourselves grow following in that way and and be you know at the, a part of a body positivity rightfully so obviously so it's great well as we wrap things up here where can people find more of you okay so i'm the feeding of the fox on instagram um the feeding of the fox dot wordpress is my blog but you can find the link for that in my bio on my instagram and i do have a feeding of the fox facebook group as well which you're welcome oh, to join great. i'd love to hear okay you. oh my gosh i'm a member of so many groups but i but i'll put myself in it <laughs> my, my my main goal for 2018 is to like spend less time on facebook so <laughs> you know what i hate facebook i just i absolutely hate it i don't think it's any good for anybody i think it's one of the worst ways that you can take care of yourself when my sister had a baby she literally removed everybody who'd had a baby in the last two years so she just unfollowed them you know so that they weren't in her timeline because she was like i i know that that child is crying for most of the 24 hours in a day but for the 10 seconds that it was smiling and its mum snapped a picture and posted it on Facebook and it's making me feel dreadful about myself so don't be afraid to unfriend people don't be afraid to unfollow people and don't be afraid to deactivate and go and do something yeah yeah well I just I have three groups I have two private ones and one public one and there's there's 4,000 people in public ones so it's um yeah it's so tricky. <laughs> I mean, I love my community. It's amazing, and I have and I have awesome uh, people who help to keep it going as well. But it's um, you know, when you're a caring person, you care about the well being of others, and so yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah you get drawn into yeah, it, and it's absolutely. it is addictive. So, but anyways, I, yeah. I'll add myself to your group. <laughs> but if I'm quiet, just know that that's why. <laughs> yeah. No. Silent approval. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much. It's you're you're lovely. It was wonderful to talk to you today. Thanks. It's been really good fun. Thanks for having me. Rock on. That was such a fun interview to do. I feel like we could have chatted for so long and I really want to hang out with Imogen in real life. Anyways, you can find all the links and resources mentioned at summerinandin.com forward slash 115. Thank you again so much for listening. I will talk to you next time. Rock on. I'm Summer Inanin, and I want to thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Summer Inanin. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on. Rock on.